0: we enter into this space of depth, as we are called, each of us finding our place, finding perhaps a soft meditation, perhaps a deep reflection, even for some an ardent prayer, each as we are called and yet somehow all together. We enter this space by hearing the lamentations, the request, and the remembrances of our community Let us hear one another to heal one another. May our listening bring forth acts of love. Spirit of life. Spirit of a life that we have been given. Spirit of a life that somehow is more than we could have ever imagined. We are here this morning. And we bring with us cares and concerns, joys and sorrows, fears and longings. And we come here together in community to lift those up. Help us to remember that we are here for each other. There is no burden that we need carry alone. Hear our spoken prayers and hear those unspoken prayers and those murmurings of the heart may it be so Amen. this is the reading for today's service it is the serenity prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr God give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed courage to change the things which should be changed and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you, forever in the next Amen. so in the event that you might be a visitor this morning and or maybe someone who just doesn't recognize my face i am charles laughlin Uh, i've been a member here at uucm for a little over 10 years now i'm not around as much anymore because i am a seminarian and part of my responsibilities this year are as the ministerial intern at the Morristown Unitarian Fellowship, where I get to work on a week-after-week basis with our very own Stearns. I was delighted this week on one hand to receive the invitation from Scott and Anya to be with you this morning. On the other hand, it was a little bit of a sad situation because Antonia was going to be leading services this morning but unfortunately came down with a pretty bad case of the flu. I wanted to uh, explicitly thank my teaching pastor, uh, Reverend Allison Miller from Morristown, for agreeing to let me uh, be here this morning. It is such a joy. It feels like coming home. (laughs) Beloveds, do you know what we just did? We managed to survive the first week of March in the year 2020. <laughs> and you know, in some ways, that feels like it's an accomplishment that is deserving of some special recognition. I don't know, perhaps there should be a medal of achievement or some sort of plaque that we put up on the wall. At the very least, I think there ought to be t shirts with some sort of clever hashtag. The coronavirus or more accurately, COVID-19 has, of course, been at the top of the news cycle this week. What began as a handful of infections in a very remote part of China, as you know, has rapidly now become a worldwide outbreak. As of last evening, there are at least 400 confirmed cases in the United States, spanning over 20 states. Now, the good news is the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, continues to urge that we take some very common sense precautions. At this point, I suspect that you know those precautions by heart. You could recite them as easily as the liturgy of our chalice lighting. Don't touch your eyes, your nose, or your mouth. Cover your cough. For God's sake, if you are sick, stay home. Wash your hands with soap for at least 20 seconds. Of course, the reality is those are all actually really good things that we should be doing all the time anyway. The more troubling stories involve concerns of things like shortages for face masks. And in case you haven't heard, if you don't already have the virus, a face mask isn't going to help you. Unfortunately, by buying the face masks, we've run into shortages so that our healthcare workers who desperately need them are finding them difficult to come by. I saw online instructions for how to make your own hand sanitizer. Because, of course, if you've been in the grocery stores, those shelves are now empty. You see, the bottom line with this particular virus is that we do need to take the situation seriously. But simultaneously, at the very same time, we need to avoid unnecessary panic. And that is not an always easy line to walk. There are many for whom the anxiety levels remain high. Many in this room, and probably many of our community who aren't here this morning because of the anxiety. And yet, we live through the week. Oh, and if that headline wasn't enough, there was another big event that happened this week. You might recall, there was a Super Tuesday and part of the primary process that will eventually lead to the selection of a presidential nominee of the Democratic Party. In the aftermath of Super Tuesday, the field has now narrowed to only two candidates. And I have to say, for many, many people, this was a week to grieve. To bemoan the exit, once again, of qualified female candidates and to have to defer for yet another election cycle the possibility of breaking that most persistent glass ceiling for some of us our hearts are indeed broken but you know no matter where you fall on the political spectrum this is probably a time of anxiety for you For almost everyone I know, this coming election feels pivotal. It feels like the absolute direction and survival of our country is at stake. You know, the polarization of our political process is not really a new phenomenon. I was listening to an NPR segment uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, and there was an interview with a Lee Drutman. Lee Drutman studies partisanship and polarization and he provides some historical perspective. What he has to say is, as a country, we have been here before. In fact, as early as George Washington, there was pronounced partisanship and polarization in our politics. Drutman contends that, taken from a historical perspective, Times of extreme polarization and partisanship actually usually lead to significant transformation. That's a silver lining I'd love to claim. I certainly hope that it is so. But can we be honest with each other? Even if that is true, that doesn't change the feeling that so many of us have right now that these are anxious times. We are surrounded with uncertainty, and with that uncertainty comes anxiety. Those are only two of the news stories this week. The question, friends, is not how to rid ourselves of anxiety, because I suspect we really can't do that. The only real question that's going to help us is to figure out how to respond in the midst of anxiety. And I would suggest to you this morning that Reinhold Niebuhr's serenity prayer may actually hold some useful insight. You heard that prayer earlier. That is the original version of the prayer, as Reinhold started to use in his sermons, the complete version. Most of us know the prayer from Alcoholics Anonymous, which has used a modified version of the prayer. Niebuhr is a fascinating individual. He is a theologian of extreme importance in American history. His early career began serving as pastor of Bethel Evangelical Church in Detroit from 1915 to 1928. During that time, his personal theology reflected the religious liberalism and social idealism of his day. We forget that. There was a time when religious liberalism was the default mindset in this country. His experience in Detroit with the automobile industry before there were labor unions and before there were social legislation led him to a sharp critique of capitalism. So sharp was his critique that he actually embraced socialism. Huh. Imagine that. An evangelical Christian socialist. Who would have thunk it? In 1928, Niebuhr left Detroit To become professor at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, where he would serve and eventually become uh, the the, uh, dean of the the seminary uh, up until his uh, retirement in the early 70s. In the years following World War I, Niebuhr's work began to change. He had been a pacifist and was committed to not going to war, but like so many Americans, he was forced to reconcile with the reality of what World War I taught us. And he began to sharply critique the religious liberalism of his day for not containing an adequate answer to the evil that exists in humanity. In fact, it was in the 30s that Niebuhr finally broke away from the Socialist Party because of its pacifist and non-interventionist attitude in foreign policy. Niebuhr would go on to be the prominent voice of Christian theologians calling for the U.S. to get involved in World War II. The Serenity Prayer first appears in Niebuhr's sermons sometime around 1934. Listen again to that prayer. God, give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which should be changed. And the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you in the next. There's some theology in there that doesn't sit quite so well for many of us, you use. And we have to accept that Niebuhr was a product of his day. He was neither Unitarian nor Universalist. He was a Christian, and his Christian philosophy is contained therein. But like most people i suspect my first experience with the serenity prayer was not this original version it was a version that went something closer to this god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference and they sort of just left off everything else i actually think that there is a message for us today in the serenity prayer. I'm going to suggest there are three fundamental claims that Niebuhr is making that can give us guidance for our situation. The first is that there are things that cannot be changed. How do you feel about that one? You know a lot of people who have criticism of the serenity prayer. This is their problem This is the starting point of the problem because there's something dangerous In simply accepting that there are things that cannot be changed It is too easy to slip into a realm of accepting oppression and Injustice under the false belief that that's just the way things are and we have to deal with it the difference between things that cannot be changed and the things that are just hard to change needs to be underscored. I am suspicious of any theology that says we cannot question God because God works in mysterious ways. That has been used to justify the unjustifiable. And it needs to stop. We do not have much use for that kind of theology. But I don't think that's actually the theology that Niebuhr is advocating. He spent his entire life digging into the problem of evil and why we treat each other so badly. He is not asking us to simply accept the status quo. Instead, he's asking us to acknowledge our limitations. And there is truth in that. It is a contrast with the egoistic pride to believe that all things were moving onward and upward forever in perpetuity. That ship has sailed. It isn't true. There are things that genuinely cannot be changed. I also find it quite interesting that in the original version, Niebuhr speaks in the plural. Did you hear that? He says, grant us. But in the version of the prayer that we've all come to know, it has been changed to grant me and the things I cannot change, oh beloved we need to go back to the communal. There is a false sense of individualism that is so disruptive to our society. We have to reclaim that we are working together because we are in this together. We are not doing for someone else. We are doing for ourselves because all of our liberation is bound up together. This is not about acquiescing our agency. It is about acknowledging when there are legitimate limitations. It is ultimately a perspective of humility, and vulnerability and it's desperately needed now second claim in the serenity prayer is that there are things that should be changed well duh and what follows is an appeal for the courage to do what must be done now, that's the sticky part. The courage to really do what must be done. To me, this is not about individual change. It's not about what you or I as individuals can do. It's what we do collectively. Again, it is phrased in the plural. It is a call to action. It is a call that Niebuhr's very own life reflects. He was a theologian who dared to be critical even of his own assumptions. He was willing to change his mind. He was willing to re-examine his point of view. Oh, God, we need that. There is adaptability here. There is agency here. There is responsibility. There are things that should, I dare say, must be changed. The third claim in this prayer is that to distinguish what cannot be changed from what should or must be changed requires wisdom. Not intellect, not book smarts, not the right political candidate not a return to values that never really existed. What is required is wisdom to discern. Whence comes that wisdom? That's the question, isn't it? Whence comes that wisdom? What is the source? Is that a wisdom that's fixed, or does it evolve based on circumstances? Does the context matter? Does it Seem that it's right now, but might it need to be re-examined tomorrow under light of new information? What kind of wisdom is that? A wisdom based in actual living. Those are great questions. To be honest, I don't like Niebuhr's answer, because I think that's what the second half of the serenity prayer is about. He finds his answer in the traditional Christian theology of sin, suffering, and surrender. That's not going to work for me. I need to find another source of wisdom. Even though he was quick to point out that the evil which all people were susceptible of committing could be overcome by good. But nevertheless, I need sources of wisdom that reflect my identity. I suspect you do too. So what do we Unitarian Universalists dare call the source of our wisdom? Here's one of the things I find really interesting. It's been my experience yours may be different It's been my experience that if you ask Unitarian Universalists something about our seven principles We do a fairly good job of being able to name those Partly because our kids sing a song about the seven principles and we've heard that song over and over again but if we were to stop right now and I were to ask you to name the seven principles, I'm confident that we would get most, if not all, of them. What's really interesting is that Unitarian Universalists also have six sources. And I've been hard-pressed to find many Unitarian Universalists who can name any of them. But they are exactly in line with what I'm talking about. We call them our sources because they are the sources of wisdom. Here they are. Direct, direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. The first source of wisdom is your own experience. Experience of the awe and mystery. We hold that up first. Second, words and deeds of prophetic people which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. Words and deeds of prophetic people. Three, wisdom from the world's religions which inspire us In ethical and spiritual life, we have a beautiful tradition of a scripture that is open. We don't relegate wisdom to one book. We don't relegate wisdom to one time. We don't relegate wisdom to one faith tradition. We recognize that there is wisdom to be had. Jewish and Christian teachings which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. My suspicion is, at some point in our history, this is probably the source we're going to lose. I think we have moved so far in some ways from our Jewish and Christian traditions that many of our congregations don't even know those histories. But, beloveds, there is wisdom to be had there. And I, for one, think we should stop, 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 once and for all, giving up the conversation to the fundamentalists. It is our tradition, it is our legitimate access to the wisdom contained therein. Fifth, humanist teachings which counsel us to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science and warn us against idolatries of the mind and spirit. Oh my God, do we need that kind of wisdom in high places! (laughs) Reason. Science. And a warning against idolatries. And our sixth source, spiritual teachings of the Earth-centered traditions. Because these These celebrate the sacred circle of life, and they instruct us to live in harmony with the rhythms of nature. I dare say you may have more sources of wisdom to add to that list. There are some, for example, who speak of this beautiful language of the wisdom of the ancestors. I love this imagery. It's an acknowledgement that our very body can carry the accumulated experiences of those who have gone before. But most of all, I want to reiterate my strongest conviction that the theme that runs through all of this is that we are stronger when we act in community than when we act alone. That's why you're here right now. Because the community. Matters, And in a world where we can't hug and we can't say hello for a little while, it is ever important that we reach out to one another in the ways that we still can, to let people know that we still see them, that we still love them, that we still are a community. We don't have to embrace to be a community. Though, in all fairness, I'm looking forward for the day when we can embrace again. I am, I am something of a hugger. But we are a religious community. We cannot do this alone. We need not carry these burdens alone. Because you know what the common thread is amongst so many of the anxieties that we face? Do you know what they're all trying to do? They're trying to separate us. They're trying to isolate us. They're trying to break us into small factions. And I say no. We are social beings, and we will make our meaning in a social context, which means we make our meanings together. Here's a quote from one of my professors, Dr. Michael Hogue. Meaning is made because it isn't given. It isn't inherent, plain, or obvious. We make meaning, but we never make it alone, even when we think we are making it alone. We make it by way of the narratives, the values, the ways of knowing and interpreting which we have both inherited and cultivated. And as we make meaning, we make ourselves into persons. And since we and meaning are social, when we make meaning, we are simultaneously making and being made by our Be clear we're not gonna make the anxiety go away the system is anxious it always has been it always will be what we can control is how we respond to that anxious system so my challenge to you this morning is can you bring the serenity prayer into those anxious conversations would you dare to stop and ask yourself what in this is something that cannot be changed? What happens if you dare to ask yourself what is it in this that must be changed? What happens if you dare ask yourself what do my sources of wisdom tell us? together? Oh, beloved, above all, let us be there for one another. Let us remember that we do not do this alone. Let us remember that we don't need all the answers before we get started. Let us remember that there is wisdom to guide us everywhere and all around. May it be so. Our benediction this morning, an invitation to brave space by Mickey Scott Bay Jones. Together, we will create brave space because there is no such thing as safe space. We exist in the real world. We all carry scars and we all have caused wounds. In this space, we seek to turn down the volume of the outside world. We amplify voices that fight to be heard elsewhere. We call each other to more truth and love. We have the right to start somewhere and to continue to grow. We have the responsibility to examine what we think we know. We will not be perfect. This space will not be perfect. It will not always be what we wish it to be, but it will be ours brave space together, and we will work on it, side by side. You please join us in our closing song as we extinguish our challenge.